As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about Larry Flint versus Jerry Falwell. And I'll be talking about the murder of Becky Dillard. Ooh, Brandy, Brandy, Brandy. What? Your baby just waved to me. No, she's still in there. But Brandy. has this bump gotten significantly larger since last week? You could barely drive the car today. <laughs> you are so very pregnant. So very pregnant. <laughs> yeah, so every time I get a text, I'm like, it's here. It's happened. I thought that I was going to get you with that it's happening text oh, that I sure. sent you the other day. Did Did that like... No. I was referring to that I made the pizza that you guys recommended from Costco. Oh! But I was hoping you'd read like just the first line at first and be like, oh my God, then she's having the baby. Very rude, Brandy. Mm-hmm. Very rude. I don't approve of those types of pranks. I would never pull them myself. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but no, I, okay, I also have just, I have something to say. Okay. In last week's episode where I was like fully prepared for you to go into labor at any minute. Yeah. Toward the end, you were like, you know, this house would be like the worst place to go into labor because you and Norm are both afraid. And I tried to be like, no, it wouldn't be. We'd be fine. You know, it's bullshit. You would both be afraid. Here's the thing. (laughs) I'd be relying on peanuts. (laughs) In that moment, I knew you were right. But I was like, what if it happens? I can't admit to her that this would be the worst place on earth for her to go into labor. So I have to lie. Everyone knew I was lying, I think. (laughs) Yeah, and fool me. (laughs) You weren't like, new birth plan. We don't go to the hospital. Just like you didn't fool me one bit, Kristen, when I told you that my doctor (laughs) is taking me out of work at 38 weeks. Um, And I text you and you're like, oh, no. Well, look. Oh, I'm so, wow. How are you feeling about that? And Listen. I was like, well, I'm pretty bummed about it. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I was trying to be a good friend, okay? It lasted for five seconds. I knew that you were upset, that you'd been told to stop working. So I was like, oh, that's too bad. And then I got my confetti cannon. That's out. right. Like, that's yes. exactly how my dad and David reacted as well. Well, because you can barely go down the stairs, Brandy. The stairs are a real challenge for me yeah. at this current time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We basically... I don't do... I don't have to do a lot of stairs in the salon, though. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. 
David, your dad and I have formed a club. And in the club, <laughs> what we want is for you to be on a lily pad somewhere, just like perfectly relaxed and just waiting for the mucus plug to, you just know. pop right out. That's right. <laughs> ooze right out. Ooh. I'm learning so many gross things. So many, There's so many gross things that happen in pregnancy. But swab update. Oh, yeah. Had Tell them. It. it was no big deal. She kind of liked it, guys. I didn't. I would not go that far. She I'm was like, saying. do you have a swab here? I <laughs> Can you, do you guys have a bigger one? <laughs> <laughs> well, they do say you're supposed to graduate up <laughs> for maximum pleasure. Oh, no, but you've been worried about the butt swab for weeks now. Yeah, but I I told you I wasn't worried anymore after I survived that the okay. fisting that they call the cervix check. <laughs> Thank you for explaining what that hand gesture was, because I was about to have to tell you that we were not on a visual medium right now, which is a shame because we're so hot. That's right. Do you want to describe my outfit to the uh, listeners? I, uh, why are you wearing sweats? It's 8,000 degrees outside. Oh, wow, Brandy. Thanks a lot. Well, I'll have you know that I'm still a little bloaty bloat from shorts? the surgery. Okay, well, my, my legs aren't the greatest. They're so pale. They're <laughs> so God. pale. So, Who are you impress- trying to impress right now? You, obviously. Oh. I mean, come on. I got my best maternity leggings on. <laughs> okay, the, the truth shirt. is, guys, we don't look that great. The shirt that's barely covering this bum. <laughs> <laughs> it's called sexy. You know... <laughs> Britney Spears used to do that all the time oh, back did. in the day. Just just a little peek. Yeah. A little peek of the tum-tum. All right. Oh. Um, you know, I'm a genius because I know that this week you go first. Yeah. But first, before you get all started on your little murder story, yeah. we should let people know that if they can't get enough of us, they should head on over to Patreon. Ooh. At the $5 level, you guys get bonus episodes, and you get into the Discord, where we chat. It's a 90s chat room. It's a great thing. But there's no creep asking you your age, sex, or location. Usually. <laughs> <laughs> if that were to happen, we would ban them. And, uh, sorry, that got weird. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Went to a weird place there, guys. The problem is it's pretty safe. <laughs> Then the only the, creeps that are looking you up are are me when I have to fill out your the Supreme Court cards. Yeah, do you really? Well, uh oh, I was about to say, do you really want to give her your info? Well, if you sign up at the seven dollar <laughs> level, you do because then we send you a sticker, we send you a card with our lovely autographs, you get inducted onto the podcast, and you get a monthly video on top of the bonus episodes, on top of the Discord. You what know, more do you want? I have want? to admit that I held myself back from doing something creepy while filling out a Patreon What'd card. What'd you do? I was filling it out. Mm-hmm. Just, you know. Yeah, I understand norm- how filling doing, it out works. the normal address. <laughs> looked at the city. The city this person lived in uh-huh. is the city one of the cases that I have covered happened in. I almost messaged them. <laughs> and I was like, hey, happened to see you live here. Tell me, do you know anything more about this case that I did? <laughs> I didn't do it. Perhaps you went to elementary school I, with the person. I realized it was creepy, and I held myself back. You got halfway through that message, and you deleted <laughs> it deleted it, it right out of there. Good job, Brandy. Good job. Can you imagine if that's how we lost patrons? Is you just, like, gradually creeped out each one of them slowly until they all left? Thanks a lot. <sighs> I realized it was creepy before I started formulating the message. Okay. I had it all written out in my head. 
Yeah, I bet it started like, hey, I don't mean for this to sound creepy. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I know. <laughs> yep, yep, I know you. Excuse me while I take off my... Wow, she's taking off the sweatshirt. Woo! Now she's just like flexing her guns over there. They're not. They're not great. I mean, yeah, Michelle Obama arms. No, I don't. I'm like. Do. I'm like if Michelle Obama had surgery and couldn't work out for like a year. <laughs> um, which is a thing. Okay, if anyone's not caught up, I had surgery, yes. so it's not. I'm not like being weird about Michelle Obama having to have surgery. No. <laughs> Only the best wishes for Michelle Obama. My God. Goodness gracious. Um. Should we talk about the state of our world oh briefly? Oh my gosh, yeah. Okay, first off, yeah. first off, first holy off. Holy shit. Okay, guys. So, <laughs> Brandy has passed out. <laughs> so, last week, Brandy covered a case. This is just, like, weird timing. Yeah. That briefly touched on police brutality. Like, very briefly. Yeah. And all the people in it were white and it was old timey. And it was kind of before all this stuff started happening. Not police brutality. No, obviously, obviously, that's been happening that's been forever. Happening, yes. So we didn't really like go into extra context with it. We just kind of briefly discussed it. And so, whew, then, oh my gosh. Our world has, ugh. You know what amazes me? And this is just my privilege talking, my um, yeah. lack of knowledge talking. Uh, watching these videos from mm-hmm. these protests and seeing so much police brutality at protests. About police brutality? Yep. Yeah. So. It is alarming. I did not watch the full video where George Floyd was murdered by mm-hmm. that D-bag cop while the other cops looked on. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, which, so this just in, we just learned that the other three cops have been charged. Apparently. Yeah, which I've been looking at my watch for a while on that one. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. But um, so I didn't watch that full video because I was like, I no, I can't can't watch someone be murdered. Yeah, but I did watch the CNN crew get arrested mm-hmm. live on the air. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Yeah. And, you know, a bunch of other clips. Oh, but so many. Yeah. So many where you're just like, what the, f- what country is this? Yeah. Again, that's my white lady privilege talk. Yeah. I mean, I, it completely you know? is. It completely is that we've never experienced any of that and that it would be, I mean, to so many people, it's not shocking at all. That's just yeah. what they've experienced in their lives. And that's just heartbreaking. Yeah. I'm glad we're all waking up, though. Yeah. Well, not all of us. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Hopefully, hopefully some people are waking up and not hiding in their bunker. Brandy, who could you possibly be referring to? (laughs) (laughs) You know, the thing is, was it FDR who did his fireside chats? I don't, don't ask me history questions. That is not my strong suit. If you want, go talk to your husband. Brandy, (laughs) Brandy, we were supposed to have good banter there. I had a joke all teed up. Damn it, Brandy. Sorry. (laughs) Anyway, anyway. Here's the thing. Some presidents, they choose to, you know, address the nation, <laughs> talk to us through hard times. Um, others, uh, not so much. Not as much. Ugh. Enough of this political podcast. Yeah. <laughs> do you, um, do you want to hear about a murder? I mean, it depends. <laughs> okay couple of things <laughs> okay i just it's been a rough time it has. 
This murder is not one that I ever would have covered. It happened in a very small town. There's very limited information about it. Do you it. not like small towns? I mean, no, I love small towns. Okay. But because it happened in a very small town, there's like no information about it. Okay. So I'm introducing a new disclaimer. Oh, small town, small disclaimer. town disclaimer. I love it. Small town disclaimer. So I had to use a blog as a source on this, which I typically would not do, but she yeah. did a really good job on it. Um, I used a blog by a woman named Kathy Baird. Mm-hmm. The way that this case fell into my lap was like a gift from the sweet baby Jesus. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was at work on Saturday. Uh-huh. Minded my business. Mm-hmm. Had a client come in for a color. Mm-hmm. Do this client regularly. We're friends on Facebook. Like, you know, regular of mine. You stuffed your hand into her mouth. No. And- <laughs> <laughs> she has a gentleman friend with her. Which I thought was odd. And under the current regulations and everything, mm-hmm. you can't, can't bring in she your can't bring in anybody. So he yeah. just had to like hang out outside the entire time I was cutting and coloring her hair. That's weird. That's a long time. It is a long time. And so I was like, Hey, what's up with your with your friend? Yeah. She's like, Well, so we started messaging on Facebook a while back. He was like a friend of a friend. And like, I just like messaged him and we started like, you know, sending messages back and forth. And then he like sent me a message yesterday that he was going to be in Kansas City for the weekend and wanted to see if I wanted to hang out. And what? and so she was like, yeah, of course, you know, let's let's meet. They hadn't met in person yet. They'd only talked on the phone and texted and whatever. Uh-huh. so she's like, yeah, whatever. And he was still there. <laughs> Wait, like, so it wasn't like, let's get a drink, let's get dinner. It was, let's... No, we can't really do a drink and dinner at this current time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, so the hangout was just like the hangout that wouldn't end. Okay. Oh, no. Because he he got a ride into town with someone else, and then he couldn't get a hold of that person to get the ride back out of town. I don't know. It was a whole thing. Anyway. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, okay. Well, I chatted with him on my way into the salon. He was outside, and he was like, oh, I really like your hair. And I was like, oh, thank you. That's so nice of you. He's like, yeah, I'm a hairstylist, too. And so, like... Chad for a little bit, whatever. Went inside. And so I'm I'm talking to her about this and she's yes. like, Yeah. So we've been talking for a little while and then one afternoon I was just like watching a snapped marathon. Uh-huh. And he was on an episode. <gasps> what? <laughs> no. So what? this guy that was at my salon on Saturday was in an episode of Snapped. No. So I was like, well, was I have to fucking Brady, do that Brady, case. Brady, Brady. Was he the one who snapped? No. Don't you know how snapped works? It's always a woman that snaps. I didn't. Well, I've I've seen some men snap. <laughs> <laughs> no, in the show Snapped, it always okay. features a woman okay. who has okay. snapped. Well, I am sorry. It's the basis of the show. Could we have like a spinoff show for dudes? Because I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, not, there's some angry dudes. I think there'd be no shortage of episodes. So I promptly watched that episode of well, Snapped. Well, yeah. And I'm here to tell you about it today. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my god, this is so exciting! Like, what? What choice do I have? I have to do that case after that was just dropped in my lap like that. It was the sweet baby it Jesus. It was the sweet, ba- <laughs> the sweet baby Jesus himself gave me this case. Wait, is that what God's doing right now? Instead of like intervening, <laughs> God's like, I could do something about all this terrible stuff in the world, but I'm going to help Brandy find her case this way. <laughs> It was November 13th, 2009, in Moody, Missouri. Hold, hold on. Yeah, gotta Google. 
Well, I'll, I'll give you some background on Moody, Missouri in a Okay, minute. I'm sorry. Oh, don't keep, give me... Man, the eyes. Keep your tits oh. on, ma'am. My tits on? Is that the phrase? They don't pop off. <laughs> I can assure you. Okay. So sorry. a call comes into 911, and mm-hmm. there had been some kind of accident on rural highway FF near Missouri Highway 124. The caller believed that someone was severely injured or that even perhaps there may have been a fatality as they were pretty sure that there was a body in the road. Oh. Police rushed to the scene because, as the officer put it on this episode of Snapped. Lay it on me. What do we got? The faster you can get to the scene when someone is injured, (gasps) the better chance you have of being able to help them. Slow down. (laughs) Slow down. (laughs) What? Is that what they cover in police training? Okay, I think I understand what's going on in the world now. <laughs> that is like, that is like the first minute of this snapped episode, and I was like, does this man think we are so dumb? <laughs> Boys, appears there's an injury. I know you want to take your time. I know you want to have lunch, but I think we ought to hustle. Okay. <laughs> so. Moody, Missouri is a very rural area. It's a very small town. We're talking like 300 people, according to this Snapped episode. Damn. It's in the very, like, southern part of Missouri, like, south-central Missouri, Mm -hmm. couple miles north of the Arkansas state line. Okay. You did explain where it was. I didn't need to Google it. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry for ever doubting you. The closest big city in, I'm (laughs) using air quotes here. I feel like you're about to get shitty. What is it? It's Springfield, Missouri. Oh, boy. And it's like two hours away. Oh, boy. This is rural. So it is very rural. (laughs) (laughs) Did you practice saying rural? I didn't. I'm proud of myself. I mean, you've done a pretty good job so far. Thank you. Okay, anyway. Officer arrives on the scene of the accident and finds only one car, so he's not sure exactly what had gone on there. But as the caller had reported, there was a body laying on the ground near the side of the road. The officer checked for signs of life and found none, so he went to work shutting down the highway and securing the scene so a death investigation could be done. As he did so, though, a couple of things stood out as odd to him. First, he'd made the assumption like the person who had called 911, mm-hmm. that this was some kind of car accident. And this victim had maybe been, like, ejected from the car. Right. But the car didn't seem to have any obvious signs of impact. And there were no signs that the victim had been ejected. There was no broken glass, you know, none of that. And there were no obvious signs of trauma on the body. This is weird. Yeah. There was a small amount of blood kind of pooling near the woman's head. But nothing consistent with a fatality accident. But it was the third thing the officer noticed that led him to call in backup from the county police homicide detectives. Near the victim were two 22 caliber shell casings. This was no accident. This was a murder. Mm. While the officer waited for seasoned investigators to reach the scene, he attempted to ID the victim. She appeared to be in her early 20s, and she was very petite. We're talking like five foot nothing, maybe 100 pounds. Same. <laughs> I 100% knew you were going to say that. <laughs> you had no idea. All my material is original. <laughs> so the officer searched the vehicle looking for her ID, and he found it in her purse. The victim was Becky Dillard, and the address listed was 
just up the road. Oh. So as soon as backup had arrived, I was so ready. I'm to sorry, go. I didn't. I don't have the actual address. I, I mean, there's probably like five houses there in Moody, Missouri. <laughs> so as soon as backup had arrived, officers made the trip to the address to find out more about Becky and notify whomever was at that address mm-hmm. of her death. Well, they wanted to be careful with that, though, because we're talking a very small town. Immediately, they knew that this was not the work of a stranger. Like, everybody here knows everybody. Someone. Yeah, 300 people. Yes. There are no strangers. Someone specifically sought her out. Someone specifically did this to her. And it was likely someone very close to her. Mm -hmm. And so they arrive at the address and they made contact with Deborah Dillard. Deborah was Becky's mother-in-law. Turns out that Becky lived at Deborah's house with her husband and with Deborah's boyfriend. So Becky was married to, oh God, why don't I have his name written down here? Brandy. My God. Well, he has two fucking first names and I can't remember which one he goes by. (laughs) You know me, I always just pick the one I like best, which is rude, but... I was right. I just didn't want to get it wrong. Yeah. What's wrong? I just found his Facebook page and his banner is terrible. (laughs) What's his banner? I'm cocky for a big reason. Ew. No. No. Wait, what's this fella trying to tell us? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So it turns out. This guy with this huge dick. (laughs) Becky shared the home with her husband, Justin Dillard, and... Justin's mother, Deborah Dillard, and Deborah's boyfriend, Billy Eastep. Billy Joe Eastep. Initially, they just kind of asked Deborah, who opened the door, like if she knew where Becky was, if there had been anything like odd that night, Mm -hmm. whatever. And Deborah was like, no, no, nothing, nothing real odd tonight. Um, Becky went to a party. Um, Justin was supposed to go with her, but like, Justin is a little bit of a diva and he wasn't ready to go and Becky was. And so she went ahead and went and Justin was following behind her a little bit later, whatever. At this point, I guess Justin is already back home and the police then they let Deborah and Justin and Billy Joe Eastep all know that there's been some kind of accident and that Becky has been injured. Mm -hmm. They don't tell you you that what they wanted to hold back the information that she was actually deceased because they wanted to see how the people closest to her reacted to the information that something had happened to her okay and their concerns with that their what their hopes were were verified very quickly they thought that the family reacted very oddly it seemed that justin immediately started like mourning the loss of his wife oh i see so it wasn't like oh my god where is she let's let's go let's go let's go yes okay when the police made the notification to becky's mother and stepfather Uh at their residence they very much had that reaction let's get to the hospital and the police were like actually we're gonna go down to the police station we want to do some questioning and they had the reaction the police expected like why would we go there let's go to the hospital yeah so all of these people are brought down to the police station and that's when they're all told that becky is in fact deceased and that she had been murdered by this time they know that she's been shot in the head twice Mm -hmm. she was shot once in the temple and once in the back of the head 
And so they separate the various family members and they start talking about, you know, what happened that night. Like, who was where? Who knew where Becky was? You know, all of this. Because chances are one of them had something to do with this. Mm -hmm. One or more of them, maybe. Really? Maybe. Okay. (laughs) So Justin is the first that they sit down and talk to. Justin's the husband. He and Becky have a couple of kids. They have a son named Kobe, who is like, I think he's like five at this point, maybe not Mm -hmm. quite that old. Mm -hmm. And they have a daughter named Cricket who had just turned one. And they sit Justin down and they talk to him and he tells them all about his and Becky's relationship. They had been together since high school. They were best friends first. And then it wasn't until like right after high school that they like started a a relationship and they were, according to Justin, the perfect couple. They had a perfect relationship. They'd gone to cosmetology school together. They both wanted to be hairstylists. And while in cosmetology school, just before they were to get married, Becky found out she was pregnant. So mm-hmm. at that time, Justin's mom, Deborah, had set up a portion of their home for them to live in. Like it was theirs, like a little apartment yeah. like setup. So Becky and Justin and their new baby all moved in and lived with Deborah. And it was a great setup. They had a built-in babysitter. Deborah was like a retired nurse at this point. She had taken care of people her whole life. Justin said like that was her calling. She was just amazing at taking care of other people and she wanted nothing more than to take care of this new grandbaby that mm. was that was coming. And so it was the perfect setup. They were able to finish school, you know, not have to worry about, you know, supporting themselves while they were doing that. They had all free childcare, free place to live. It was Deborah great. sounds like a saint. Does she? Oh, oh. Okay. Yeah, you're right, snapped only the women. Okay, I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> she I would agree she sounds like a saint. Well, you know, these stories always start off well. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Here we go. So. Wait, this is Justin's mom? This is just, yes, Justin's mom. You met this man? I sure did. Oh, my gosh. Okay, continue. I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> and according to Justin, they were the perfect family. They were a team all the time. Whatever he couldn't take care of, Becky took care of. And if Becky couldn't take care of it, then Deborah took care of it. Like everybody supported everybody. It was perfect. On that particular night, yeah, they were all, they were supposed to go to a party together. Becky was going to stop at Walmart on her way to the party to buy some makeup for her sister as a birthday present. Mm -hmm. So she decided to leave early and go do that. And then... Becky and Justin shared a car, and so he was going to come along later. His mom was going to give him a ride. The investigators got a weird feeling from Justin pretty early on because he seemed very unemotional in his interrogation with them. He did a lot of crying without actually producing any tears. Uh huh. Which was very, like, that's a red flag to them, yeah. obviously. It's like, okay, this is someone who thinks he should be reacting a certain way and is doing his best to show us that he's reacting that way, but it's just not quite right. Brandy, you sound like that cop in the beginning of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so with the faster you get to a scene of an accident, the better chance you have of being able to help someone. And when someone is crying, there should be tears. And the absence of tears is a red flag. These are the things they tell you at the police academy. (laughs) But 
I mean, they think his responses are a little bit weird. They think his demeanor's a little bit weird, but there's nothing more than that to go on. So mm. they move on to the next person. Mm. They start talking to Deborah Dillard, Justin's mom. And she said, yeah, I don't know. There was some kind of argument that night. Um, it seemed like Becky and, and Justin were arguing about something, and she kind of like stormed out of the house and decided to go to the party without him. I don't know what the argument was, but there was some kind of mm-hmm. something. But that was it. You know, they really they have a great relationship. Stuff like that rarely happens. And, you know, it's just one of those things. Mm-hmm. And then they talk to Becky's mom. And Becky's mom had a very different story. Becky's mom told investigators that Becky was extremely unhappy in her marriage. Whoa. And that she was preparing to leave. Okay. That she had been unhappy since shortly after the birth of their first child. That Justin hadn't seemed like he was ready to step up and be a parent. And Becky knew that that's what her life was now. Like, yeah, that's what happens when you have a kid. You have to you make sacrifices that you're solely responsible for taking care of that new life. And she had done that. She'd worked really hard. She'd gotten a job at a salon. She was, you know, going to work every day Mm -hmm. while Justin was calling into work regularly. He ended up losing his salon job. He went like a year without working, which put all of the burden on Becky. And then there was this situation where they don't have any of their own space. They're living in... Yeah, that does not sound like living the dream. No, they're living in Justin's mom's house. They have no space of their own, no privacy, and it had just taken its toll on Becky. Yeah. And she'd had enough. And so she was hiding money so that she could leave. Oh. She was like stashing her tips away. Yeah, yeah. So that she could save up enough money to put money down on an apartment and she could leave. There were only two people who knew that Becky was doing this, her mom and her sister. Mm -hmm. And just days before Becky's death, Becky had told them that the money had gone missing. Oh, shit. And that she was just devastated because she had to completely start over. Where had she stashed the money? I don't, okay. I don't know okay. where the money okay. was stashed, but she had had it stashed somewhere for a long time. Right, right, waiting for that moment. And then okay. all of a sudden it was all gone. Yeah. And so she was just like deflated, like I have to start all over. I have to find a new hiding place. I have to figure something else out. Yeah. And you can't confront someone that they've stolen your secret stash of money. Yeah. Yeah. Because presumably it was in the house. Exactly. Yes, presumably it was in the house. Mm. And so, yeah, Becky's mother was like, things were not great, as Justin would tell you. Justin was a heavy drinker. He was partying all the time. And Becky was done with that life. Becky was a mom. Mm -hmm. And Becky's mother's presumption was that somehow Deborah had found out about Becky's plans to leave and was afraid that she wouldn't see her grandchildren anymore and needed to make sure that Becky couldn't do that, couldn't take her grandkids away. Wow. Yeah. And so the investigators are like, okay, great. They're like, you know it's always the husband though, right? Yeah, exactly. And so initially, and that was it. Like they were totally like zeroed in on Mm -hmm. Justin and, and, Becky's family was like, we don't think it's Justin. Yeah. We think it's Deborah. Yeah. And so the police are like, okay. So they get Deborah back in there. 
for another interrogation. Mm-hmm. And they ask her to come in and do a polygraph, which they talk about a little bit mm-hmm. of this. And we've talked about that here. It's not oh, yeah. admissible in court. You know, it's just they described it as an investigation tool, which uh, is what it is. It is. It is. It absolutely is. And so they get her to come in and do this polygraph and they ask her a bunch of questions you know were you involved in any way in becky's death do you know anybody who was involved in becky's death then all these questions and she finishes the polygraph and they're like you know how you did don't you and she's like of course and they're like so you know you failed (laughs) (laughs) she's like what (laughs) what and they're like so it's time to come clean like tell us Tell us what you know. Mm-hmm. You are clearly holding back information from us. Mm-hmm. And this is she, why it's just a tool. I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she like ponders on it a minute. She's like, no, no, huh? I don't know what you're talking about. No, no. Did they show the interrogation tapes? No. Oh, I wish because you only, know you'd see there some were great only acting. like little bits and pieces of it that were like audio recorded, and okay. so they like looped her voice in every now and again. Yeah, but there was no video of this particular. I always love to see the acting. In oh, these me things. too. What? Yeah. Me? Me? Oh, I failed the lie detector. <laughs> and so finally, after them like continually being like, you know, we know you're holding back information. Mm-hmm. Tell us what's going on here. The Tell polygraph us don't here. lie. That's right. I mean, it does, but, <laughs> <laughs> but she, she says, doesn't know yeah, that. She says, you're right. There is some information that I've been holding back. So to this point, she had been telling investigators that her boyfriend, Billy Joe Eastip, Mm -hmm. had been home that whole night. He'd been drinking that night, and then he had, like, a bad headache. He wasn't feeling well, and so he'd taken some NyQuil and, like, passed out immediately, gone to bed. Billy told that exact same story when Mm -hmm. police interrogated him. Now she says, that's not the case. Billy did leave that night. He followed Becky. They got into some kind of fight. And when he came back, I never left the house. I was at the house mm-hmm. the whole time. But when he came back, he had what looked like it might have been blood <gasps> on his clothing. She's going to pin this all on him? And he went and took a shower immediately. That's all I know. I swear that's all I know. Mm-hmm. What? She completely pins it on her boyfriend. Whoa. Yeah. So... They're like, okay, so Billy shot and killed her. Right. And she said, you know. Can't say for sure. Yeah, I can't be certain, but it sure looks that way to me. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay. Now, this is a tough question. (laughs) The tough question, but we've got to ask it. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. What is it? At any point in any conversation that you've ever had with Billy, did you maybe suggest or mention or give the idea that you might want harm to come to Becky. Mm-hmm. And Deborah's absolutely not. I loved her like she was my daughter. No. Oh, what a hard question. Absolutely oh. not. No, there's not a chance. There's not a chance of that. You know, I love Becky. I love Billy. But the two butt heads constantly. Mm-hmm. And so police bring in Billy Eastip. Mm-hmm. And they arrest him. In the meantime, since Deborah makes this statement, before they bring Billy in, 
an eyewitness comes forward. They get a call from yeah. this guy. Yeah. Who happens to be driving on the road that night, that rural highway FF, whatever. Right. News of this crime has now spread through this small town. It's all the, gotten all the way to Springfield by My now. My God. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, hey, you know, I don't know if this is pertinent information, but I was driving that night. I definitely saw two cars pulled over on the side of the road. I know from the news reports that the deceased woman's car was an SUV. I definitely saw that pulled over on the side of the road. Whoa. In addition to that, there was a car behind her. Looked like a Chevy truck to me. It was dark. I can't tell you who was driving. I don't know anything. But it looked like there were two people standing between the cars having a conversation on the side of the road. Wow. And they're like, okay, you know, was it a man or a woman driving the truck? And he said, it was dark. I don't. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And they said, well, did they did they have any facial hair? And he's like, again, it was, it was dark. dark. I can't even tell you that it was a man. It was yeah. dark. He said, the one thing I remember about the truck stuck out to me. It was a dark colored truck with like a light trim around the bottom, but then it had a bright white driver's door. Oh, well, yeah, that would stick out. Yes. Okay. And they're like, excellent information. <laughs> Thank you. So, Brandy, what do you make of that? Like, in terms of how much easier it would be to catch <laughs> <laughs> Well, when someone drives uh-huh. a Franken truck... Uh-huh. <laughs> It makes it much easier to identify. And do wow. you want to take a guess in this case who might have been driving a Franken truck that night? Brandy, I'm no detective. I'm going to leave that to you. <laughs> Keep talking. So police are like, well, that's really great information because Billy Joe Eastip happens to drive a dark green Chevy truck with a white Franken door on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Looking bad for you, Billy. Yes. So Billy, they arrest Billy. They bring him in. They sit him down. And they're like, we know that you had something to do with this. Mm-hmm. He lawyers up immediately. Ooh. Won't speak to him. And Billy's like, no okay. dummy. Okay. But they have enough information to place him under arrest. Okay. And so they do that. He sits in jail for 15 hours. And he changes his mind. Hmm? He wants to talk to police. He wants to talk to investigators. So they bring him back into an interrogation room and they're like, Why? Why do you? I don't know. And they're like, Okay, you know, we just want to get this clear. And this is on video. They're okay. like, We just want to get this really clear. Earlier when we brought you in here, you asked for a lawyer. You are yeah. revoking that request now. And he's like, I don't understand what you're saying. Oh, no. Oh, no, Billy. <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, we, we have to honor your requests. Like, so before mm-hmm. you asked for a lawyer, and then now some time has passed, and you've said you want to talk to us. So are you saying that you no longer are <laughs> requesting a lawyer? And he just kind of sits there in silence. Brandy. And they're like, okay, so... Are you wanting to talk to us or no? And he's like, yeah, I, I don't mind talking to you with no lawyer here to tell you that I didn't pull a trigger on anybody. Oh. And they're like, okay, great. So if you didn't pull a trigger, who did it? Mm-hmm. And he refuses to say. He won't tell them who did it. Mm-hmm. And all he keeps saying is that he's not the one who did it. He might know who did. Mm-hmm. But he won't give up that information. Yeah. And they're like, okay, do you understand the position that you're in right now? 
It doesn't make any sense. Well, actually, what they said is that old dog don't hunt. But <laughs> what does that? Oh <laughs> my god! Got to be a country saying, right? <laughs> Could we get English subtitles on that? What the hell does that mean? Yeah, the detective's like, "Come on, Billy, you know that old dog don't hunt." <laughs> <laughs> well, in fairness, Billy didn't know what revoke meant, so maybe we do need a change and of vocabulary. So, and so Billy's like, "I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying." And they're like, "So you, if you knew who pulled this trigger, who committed this murder." And you made the decision not to call us and tell us. You're involved in this case. You mm-hmm. are in it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, I get it. And that's all he'll give up. He won't say anymore. And so they send him back to his cell and they move forward with pressing charges against him for the murder of Becky Dillard. Mm-hmm. Where is his public defender? I mean, I assume there, that the public defender is like, away in the big city i'm sure okay i'm sure yeah meanwhile deborah how's deborah doing deborah is beside herself billy has been arrested he's been charged with becky's murder Uh, beside herself Uh uh-huh okay so she writes out a six-page letter Hmm. a full confession that it was she not billy what? Who murdered Becky Dillard on the highway that night. And she sends it out to several friends. What? Yeah. And one of those friends, I hope all of those friends. Well, yeah. Turn it over to the police. Mm-hmm. And the prosecutor reads it. And he's like, we got to go get her immediately. First of all, <laughs> what he said on this Snapchat. <laughs> what did he say? Was, you know, it was looking pretty good against Deborah, but once we got that letter Mm. we knew we had a case (laughs) he's right you can't disagree you can't disagree so this is a full confession but there was something about it that was very alarming to the prosecutor okay he thought it read like a suicide note oh and so as soon as the police had it and processed it they're like we have to go get her now and so they zoom on over Mm -hmm. to Deborah's house and she is, they like, make entry into her home. <laughs> Brandy, look at you. And she's laying in bed with a pistol <gasps> next to her. They, like, bust into her bedroom. She reaches for the gun. Uh-huh. And they have to, like, fight it away from her. They pull their weapons on her and take her into uh-huh. custody. Bring her in for an interrogation. This interrogation is recorded. Excellent. And it's amazing. Okay. And so they bring her in and just the portion they show on this snap thing is they're talking about, you know, the confession letter and everything. And and they're like, she immediately recounts all of the recants, all of the information. She immediately recants all of the information. No, Brandy, in we the have letter. to keep that in because you no. sound like Billy. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> she, she recounted it, it and then, then she recanted it. it. <laughs> lady we don't have time for all this (laughs) and they're like what do you mean what do you mean can we pause yeah brandy yeah let's say you receive a six-page handwritten letter from me admitting to a crime oh god what do you do how bad's the crime i guess would be the let's say it's murder let's say it's this (sighs) yeah i'd probably have to go to police 
Oh, you are a terrible friend. No, I probably go to Norm first, actually. What if it was a murder of Norm? Oh, God. Turn me in. Yeah. Poor Norm. Poor Norm. Um, What if it was reversed? What would you do? You'd take it to police. No, I would look for the best criminal defense attorney, Brandy, and I would go, yeah, 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 that's what a good friend does. And then I tweet at Keith Morris, and I'm like, I am available. This is my moment. I mean, this is the differences between you and me. I wished for sunshine, and you wished for the end of coronavirus. (laughs) Well, who's better? You decide. Tell you what, it's sunny outside. (laughs) And the world is ending. Oh, my God. Thanks, Brandy. Thanks. (sighs) Anyway, so Deborah is in interrogation now, and she's like, no, none of the letter's true. Just a a fun uh, fanfic for murder. And they're like, okay, so, come on. Are you, Mm -hmm. like, recanting this information now because you're afraid to go to prison for what you've done? Yes, for sure. She's like, no, I'm not afraid. I haven't done anything. And they're like, "Mm -hmm, see, we have this letter (laughs) that says that you did, in fact, murder Becky Dillard. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, yeah, it was all a lie. And they're like, "Mm -hmm, tell us more. I was testing my long-term friends to see if they would go to police or the best defense attorney in the county. Nope. Nope, that's not it. She was so distraught that her boyfriend, Billy. Uh Uh-huh. Was in jail. That she wanted to take it. She was going to, so she couldn't live without him. Mm -hmm. She couldn't handle not having him in her life. Mm -hmm. And so she wrote the letter to take the fall for what he'd done. But why send it to your friends and not to the police then? That's a great question. Thank you. Well, because the next step after taking the fall for what he'd done Uh was to end her life. Oh, okay. But she chickened out. She hadn't been able to follow through with it. Right. And that's when she was arrested. Okay. When she was trying to talk herself into it. Okay. And so the police were like, okay, (laughs) great. See, we have a confession from you here. (laughs) And uh, you're now under arrest for the murder of Becky Dillard. Yeah. And they're like, why did you implicate Billy Mm -hmm. in the beginning? And she's like, you know, now that I think about it. I don't think Billy had anything to do with this. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> and they're like, okay, great. You know, it's so, totally normal for someone to come home every night soaked yeah. in blood. So immediately they had thought that Justin had acted super weird and that this was all him. By this point now, they think Justin had no idea about any of this. Yeah, he's just a guy with weird reactions. Yes. Okay. Yes. These things happen. They do. His reactions were just weird. He's just kind of an odd guy. He likely had no knowledge that his mother had done this. Mm -hmm. In fact, he becomes the person to try and offer up an alibi for her that night. Okay. So they go to trial. And Deborah's trial is first. Mm -hmm. And Justin takes the stand in her defense. The prosecution's whole case is the letter is the truth. Billy's version of what happened is the truth. He didn't pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. He knows who did. How does he know? He was there. He drove her that night. And he didn't do anything to stop it. But Deborah is the one who pulled the trigger. Yeah. I'm just thinking like... 
when it's a gun, how much can you do to stop Yeah, I mean, you could not drive her to commit the murder. Oh, so he knew he was driving her to commit a murder? That's the prosecution's claim, yes. Okay, okay. The prosecution's claim is that he knew that he was driving her, that there had been a big blow-up that night between Mm -hmm. Becky and Deborah, and Becky had taken off, and Deborah was like, we're going after her. Everything had come to a head, and Deborah was sure that Becky was about to take her grandkids away. Yeah. And it was, she could, had to do anything to keep that from happening. And the defense used <sighs> Deborah's claim. No, you know, the confession is not true. She mm-hmm. did that to try and get Billy off, you know, mm-hmm. blah, 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 whatever. So Justin takes the stand in his mom's defense and says that she was home the whole night with him. They were watching a movie. What movie? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Neither does he, because it didn't happen. Yeah. And Deborah takes the stand in her own defense. Okay. I don't know, Deborah. I know, Deborah. I don't I don't think that was a great idea. And Deborah talks about how much she loved Becky and she would never do this and the letter was all a lie and she lays out her plan about how, you know, it was just a ploy to try and get, you know, she couldn't live without Billy. She'd felt mm-hmm. terrible about the misinformation that she gave that she Billy had been the one to pull the trigger, whatever. The uh the jury was not, yeah, not a fan of Deborah's. They didn't, they didn't believe her testimony. They didn't believe Justin's testimony. They found her guilty, and she was convicted of first degree murder, which in the state of Missouri carries a mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Oh, we're harsh here, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Billy Eastep ended up pleading guilty to conspiracy to commit murder. I mean, as part of his plea deal, he was sentenced to 10 years. Hmm. Billy Joe Eastep was released from prison in 2015 after serving five years of his 10-year sentence. Deborah Dillard is still behind bars. Yeah. And has no chance of parole unless she appeals and whatever. Mm-hmm. Becky's mother and stepfather have custody of Kobe and Cricket. Good. And Justin Dillard maintains that his mother is wrongfully convicted. And had nothing to do with his wife's murder. Wow, so he lost custody of, of his mm-hmm. kids. I am just now realizing. Yep. Sorry, yeah. late to this. Yes, he lost custody of the kids. I don't know. What happened there, yeah. I don't know the circumstances around that. He does not have custody of his kids. And he believes 100% that his mother is wrongfully convicted. Wow. Yeah. Does he have any thoughts on who really did I this? I think he thinks Billy Eastep yeah. did it all on his own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. You met this man. I met him! Okay, we might need to cut this, but what did your client think of him? Is she into him? No, she thought he was really weird. <laughs> Is she okay with us saying this? I don't know. We might need to check with to, her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Here's, here's what I know I can say. Okay. She thought the encounter with him the weekend was very odd. <laughs> Yeah. 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 And so she met him, talked to him, all of this, and then she just happens to see the Snapped episode. (gasps) And so she's like, hey, you didn't tell me you were on an episode of Snapped. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, my mom's in prison for murdering my wife. But then that's when he tells his version of the story Uh and he really Uh thinks that, you know, Uh his mom is innocent and... Oh, my Lord. Um, So Becky's family completely believes 
that Deborah thought Becky was going to take the grandkids away from her and that she thought of those kids as hers. Right. Because she'd been involved in their lives from the time they were born. She'd taken care of them. Okay. And so she simply could not let that happen. Right. But Becky's mom is like, she never would have taken them. Even if, even, well, yeah. yeah, even if Justin and Becky got divorced and weren't together anymore, she knew how important it was for them to have a relationship with their grandmother. She never would have taken those kids well, away from obviously, them. Obviously, this Deborah character doesn't seem like she totally yeah. has all her screws in place, yeah. as they say. So, yeah, I, yep. I bet she did misjudge that situation. So the last part of this Snapped episode is a little bit with Becky's sister. Uh-huh. And she was like, Deborah wanted to make sure that she still had those kids in her life. And she got too greedy. And now she'll never get to see them. Damn. Yeah. I mean, but yeah. Yeah. Whew. Whew quite the episode of snapped that case really did fall into your lap it sure did that is weird it was the weirdest thing ever brandy yes ah! I'm, like, I'm just like doing my clients here and she's like oh yeah yeah he was on an episode of snapped and i was like i must know everything right this minute <laughs> and then like while her hair was processing i'm like google <laughs> you're like oh this is just research just hair research <laughs> Oh, that's strange. Super strange. Yeah. So I met I met Justin Dillard. There's a whole host of people online that think that Justin was involved in this. He knew what his mom was planning. I don't actually I don't think that. Yeah. Wow. And neither did the prosecution. The prosecution thought that it, this all happened behind his back. Yeah. That he didn't didn't know any of this. But is his alibi a lie? I don't, that's what I want to know, too. Because if his alibi's a lie, then that, you know. Yeah. Doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. Ugh. Ugh. Ooh. Brandy, can we do a little bit of a palate cleanser? Yeah. You know, I don't know if you know about this, but a little holiday's coming up. Oh, which holiday's that? Well, Earth Day first, and then Father's <laughs> Day. <laughs> Father's Day. I Have thought you- Earth Day was in April. Hold on. <laughs> is oh, it Friday? Friday is coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I ruined my own joke. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com/audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com/audio. That's carshield.com/audio. <laughs> I am so ready for this. <laughs> okay, guys, buckle the fudge up. <laughs> so Do we get to talk about titties in this case? There's tits and ass. <laughs> this story has everything. Well, and Jerry Falwell, he's like a televangelist, right? Am I imagining Oh, that? you are not imagining okay. a thing. <laughs> We've got something for everyone. What? What? Well, is he Jerry Lee Lewis's cousin? Oh, God, I don't know that. Now I have to know. Go Google. Google away, my friend. I don't know why that would be a piece of knowledge that I know, but... You have a lot of weird pieces of knowledge, if I may offer an (laughs) observation. No. Wrong. Wrong televangelist. Which one? Jimmy Swaggart is Jerry Lee Lewis's cousin. Never heard of him. And boy, do I watch a lot of church TV. Hmm. That's disappointing that I had that factoid wrong. Well, I think we all feel pretty let down. I, you should, and as light, you should. In light of everything else going on, I don't think we can take it. <laughs> okay, so shout outs right off the bat. Famoustrials.com. Professor Douglas O'Linder has a Dougie-o. very good write-up on this. Should I email him and see if he's okay with me calling him Dougie O? I feel like he wouldn't be. I feel like he wouldn't be. <laughs> Seems like a real serious guy. That's just the vibe I get from the website. <laughs> Hopefully he never finds out about us. <laughs> Even though we do love him dearly. We do love him. <laughs> also, the Wikipedia page was helpful. Also... Um, a very special YouTube clip was helpful. Also, and I don't think I've ever said this before, I watched a movie. Wow. For this. I know. The People versus Larry Flint? Yeah, I was just curious. You know, it's it's not like a... Woody Harrelson? That's right. Courtney Love? Yeah. Courtney Love can play a drug addict, let me tell you. Well, she might. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> it was a very good performance. I think she should have gotten more than just a Golden Globe nomination. Anyway, <laughs> neither here nor there. That's not a documentary, obviously. It was just like after I did all yeah, this yeah, reading, yeah. I was like, I kind of want to see that now. So I wow, did. Wow, I'm shocked that you watched it. Well, I'm pretty bored cooped up at home. <laughs> okay. It was the early 80s, and... Campari, which is an Italian liqueur, Mm. was running a very sexy ad campaign. In a page, you can't see it. Yeah, we're rolling our shoulders. We're doing like sexy shoulders, you know, (laughs) just trying to like set the mood. We got a candle lit. We do have a candle lit. (laughs) So, in a page of a magazine, they'd have a picture of a celebrity, and alongside that picture, they'd run an interview with the celebrity. And it would be about their <laughs> first time. Oh, wink, wink. And the celebrity would talk all about their first time and how great it was and how magical it was. <laughs> Brandy, what? <laughs> and wow, oh wow, whoo, it'd get steamy. 
But then you'd get to the end of the interview, Brandy, and oh, turns out they were talking about their first time drinking Campari. Oh, oh you and your dirty mind. So, you so clever. Oh. Campari was so proud of their little ad campaign. They ran it with a catchy little slogan. Campari, you'll never forget your first time. And then like a winky face. (laughs) Yeah. They invented the winking emoji. (laughs) This may surprise you, but um, some people thought that this ad campaign was stupid. And some of those people worked for Hustler Magazine. Mm Mm-hmm. Hustler Magazine, which is apparently still a thing, which I don't understand. Like, have people not heard of the internet yeah. where porn is free? Free porn all I over mean, that thing. <laughs> breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to embarrass yourself and buy yourself a copy of this magazine. Yeah. Who's buying porno mags anymore? You know what? Nudie Magazine Day. What? Billy Madison. Oh, okay. Watch a movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like every time you say watch a movie, it's about an Adam Sandler movie. It probably is. Um, no, I, I have... Did you watch Uncut Gems? Yes, loved it. Very good. Very That's good. the most stressful movie I think I've ever seen. No, 1917. Very I have seen it yet. Oh, wait for it. Okay. I don't know what you're waiting what? for. <laughs> <laughs> no, so... I have. I feel the same way about like brick and mortar sex shops. Yeah, there's one like just down the road. It's on a very busy intersection. There's a McDonald's right across from it. So you like, can get your oh. McMuffin and get your okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just like, why embarrass yourself? Yeah, when you can just, just order stuff off. Order that big fist dildo <laughs> off of Amazon. <laughs> or hear me out. Get pregnant. Do the cervix check. Just like Brady. Yeah. <laughs> Insurance will pay for it. Right. There's no better deal in town. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, Hustler Magazine hit its peak in the early 80s. It's known as like the much less classy, much more hardcore version of Playboy. Brandy's nodding because she knows all I know about all this. about it. I have the full catalog. <laughs> <laughs> a collection. <laughs> and it's published by a dude named Larry Flint. Yes. Larry Flint got his start by running a bunch of unsuccessful strip clubs in Ohio. No. Why were they unsuccessful? Well, you see, Brandy, when a business doesn't bring in enough money. What do you mean? Why are they unsuccessful? So he started Hustler Newsletter as a way to drum up business for his strip clubs. But turns out people were way more into the newsletter than they were the strip clubs. And eventually. How saucy was that newsletter? Well, my guess is that, kind of based on the movie, but whatever, is that he wasn't well-versed on obscenity laws, which obscenity laws, that's why Playboy has very good articles, Yeah, is because you've got to kind of balance things out and, like, taken as a whole. It's what? What? Fun fact about a Playboy article. Norman was interviewed for Playboy. And at first, Norman was like, ew, what? You know, Playboy wants to interview me. And I was like, no, honest to God, they do have very good articles. There's very good journalism in Playboy. And that's mainly because of obscenity laws. They've got a, you know, I can't remember it all, but it's like the majority of the work of art Mm -hmm. has to be, you know, good, clean fun, basically. And so you can have a few little photos. Yeah. But I'm guessing... Hustler newsletter was probably just like just up close shots of a beef, you know, and like no <laughs> articles. That's what I'm guessing. And so, so anyway, it was very popular. <laughs> probably obscene. <laughs> probably. 
<laughs> Eventually, the newsletter became a magazine. But initially, the magazine struggled. But then, a member of the paparazzi took a bunch of nude photos of Jackie O. <gasps> sunbathing nude. Yep, yeah, I hate this. Hate it. And went to Larry Flint and was like, hey, I have these creepy photos that I took of Jackie Kennedy without her knowledge or permission. Would you like to buy them? And he did? Oh, yeah. <gasps> and he published them. And, of course, the magazine sold out. And that's how struggling businessman Larry Flint became a millionaire. Oh, my gosh. What a scumbag. Yeah, that fucking sucks. I hate it. Thanks. I hate it. Sign. I did not know that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I kind of walked into this like, yeah, he's probably a scumbag. And then, oh, that's how you um, found financial yeah. stability. Great. Cool. Side note. In 1978, a few years after he became a millionaire, a white supremacist slash serial killer from Missouri shot him while he was walking out of court. Is that why he's in a wheelchair? Yes. Okay. Yes. So apparently the shooter was angry because Larry Flint ran photos of an interracial couple like doing sexy times in Hustler. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I don't that's know. That's it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, he's a white supremacist. I guess he was quite upset. I also realized I called them an interracial couple. I bet they were not a couple. I mean, like, probably two models. I'm bringing my own experience into this. Well, I'm sure they were in love. An interracial couple. No, my experience is like, well, they're having sex, so they probably know each other pretty well. So ever since the shooting, Larry Flint has been paralyzed from the waist down. Oh, spoiler alert. Sorry. Why? Because I already said he was in a wheelchair. I mean, I think most people know. Okay. And I mean, you know, it was coming in the next (laughs) paragraph. (laughs) Although, please send all hate to Brandy. (laughs) Stop saying that. That's the second episode in a row you said that. I don't want it. (laughs) I'm planning on saying it for every episode (laughs) moving forward because I don't want the hate. (laughs) Side note. So the shooter was a man named Joseph Paul Franklin, and years later he confessed to the shooting, but by that point he was already in prison for being a... a white supremacist? No, for being a serial killer. White supremacists, we're fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, okay. And he was put to death by the state of Missouri in 2013. Oh, wow. Yeah. You probably could do a whole case on that guy. I probably could. Not, Not interested. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... <laughs> This is all to say that Larry Flint had a lot of enemies on all sides. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, a lot of feminists didn't like him. A lot of religious people didn't like him. Apparently white supremacists didn't, didn't like him. <laughs> so hating Larry Flint was like an issue we could all agree on. <laughs> but back to the main story. everyone could get behind. Yes. <laughs> the folks at Hustler thought that this Campari ad was stupid. Um... Campari, Campari. I guess I've never I'm, heard of it. Oh well, I've. We had a little mini like airplane bottle of it once in the house. I think we still do because I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's any good, and I've never tried it. Hmm. It's oh, it's a bitter. Yeah. Spicy and sweet. Oh, just like my nickname. <laughs> so they decided to poke fun at this. And they created their own Campari ad featuring a fake interview with a very real, very horrifying man named Jerry Falwell. Mm. Rest in peace. 
Jerry Falwell was a big-time televangelist and conservative activist. He founded Liberty University, and he had so many bad takes. Are you ready for a few? Yes. I've got just a sampling. We're just going to sprinkle, sprinkle them. Yes. I'm super anti-gay. Oh. Mm-hmm. Here's a quote. AIDS is not just God's punishment for homosexuals. It is God's punishment for the society that tolerates homosexuals. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got like a real Fred Phelps vibe. Real, real cool guy. Yep. Okay. Yep. Here's another. In 1999, <laughs> he became famously outraged when he caught wind of a children's program called Teletubbies. Do you remember this? No. I mean, I know the Teletubbies. Okay. He thought that Tinky Winky, (laughs) who was purple and had an upside-down triangle on his head, was like some secret gay gay role model for children. They're trying to, like, indoctrinate the kids. Yeah. This guy thinks Alex Jones got something to (laughs) do. Well, in fairness, you know, a lot of people have come out since the Teletubbies. So I yeah. think it, it's all because yeah, of Tinky Winky. Yeah, they've all cited Tinky yeah. Winky. <laughs> they've been like, I didn't, I didn't think I was gay, but then Tinky Winky came along. I'm struggling to remember all of the Teletubbies now. I mean, it was a little after our time, so it'd be yeah. kind of weird if you remembered all the Teletubbies. Tinky Winky, Poe, Lolly. I have no idea. Don't... Are you looking up the Teletubbies? Of course I'm looking up the Teletubbies. You know it drives me crazy when I don't know something. Can you be like me and just be happily dumb? <laughs> no. <laughs> this is why you're so good at trivia. And yeah, because now this is going to be a trivia question, and I know it. But see, the Tinky tri- Winky, Dipsy, Lala, what did I say? I don't care. Lo- I said Lolly <laughs> and Poe. I don't I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> You didn't even seem to register that. And I was like, I got away with that. That's just fine. (laughs) Um, Here's another. This is a real bad take. Okay. I mean. As opposed to those great ones that he's already had? (laughs) Yeah, sorry. That's kind of terrible. (laughs) In the aftermath of 9-11. Oh, no. Yeah. Here's, Here's how we start the sentence. He had an explanation for why such a horrible thing had happened. You ready? No. You're ready for whose fault it is? No. I really believe that the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians who are actively trying to make an alternative lifestyle, the ACLU, People for the American Way, all of them who have tried to secularize America, I point the finger in their face the and say, does that you leave? helped this happen. Who does that leave? Himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Pretty hot take. Pretty awful. Yeah. Pretty awful. So Jerry Falwell sucked and so did Larry Flint. Yeah. But they both sucked in different ways and they hated each other for it. <laughs> They saw each other as opposite ends of the spectrum. One was the dirty pornographer, and the other was the judgy televangelist. Personally, I think they had a bit in common, but whatever. (laughs) Whatever. Anyway, so when Hustler made their fake Campari ad, they ran it as an interview with Jerry Falwell. I will now read you the ad in its entirety, and holy Moses, buckle up. So, you know, the headline... 
Jerry Falwell talks about his first time. Mm-hmm. And there's this like picture of him and he's kind of doing a little smile. He's got his chin in his hand uh-huh. like mm, cute. And there's like the bottle of Campari on one side and like a little glass. And it's the interview set up. So here we go. Falwell. My first time was in an outhouse outside Lynchburg, Virginia. <laughs> Interviewer. Wasn't it a little cramped? Falwell. Not after I kicked the goat out. <laughs> Interviewer. I see. You must tell me all about it. Falwell. I never really expect to make it with Mom, but then after she showed all the other guys in town such a good time, I figured, what the hell? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Interviewer. But your mom? Isn't that a bit odd? Falwell. I don't think so. Looks don't mean that much to me and a woman. (laughs) Interviewer. Go on. Falwell. Well, we were drunk off our ass, our God-fearing asses on Campari, ginger ale, and soda. That's called a fire and brimstone at the time. And Mom looked better than a Baptist whore with a $100 donation. Interviewer. Campari and the crapper with Mom. How interesting. Well, how was it? Falwell. The Campari was great, but Mom passed out before I could come. <gasps> uh huh. This is this is oh, oh, it's rough. No. Interviewer. Did you ever try it again? Falwell. Sure, lots of times, but not in the outhouse. Between Mom and the shit, the flies were too much to bear. Oh my gosh. We're wrapping up here. It's okay, Brandy. <laughs> Interviewer. We meant the Campari. Falwell. Oh, yeah. I always get sloshed before I go out to the pulpit. You don't think I could lay down all that bullshit sober, do you? (laughs) Oh, I'm sure he was not a fan of that. (laughs) Campari, you'll never forget your first time. What do you think, Brandy? Oh, that he's going to be real riled up when he sees that. What's your reaction to it? Oh, I think it's terrible, but it's funny. (laughs) Okay. I I kind of feel the same way. Like, I was kind of laughing at the beginning, and then as it gets like... It's bad. It's bad. So Larry Flint and the editors at Hustler thought this ad was hilarious, but at the insistence of Hustler's in-house lawyer, they put a disclaimer at the bottom of the ad. It read, Ad parody. Not to be taken seriously. Mm -mm. So are they protected in a court of law? Listen to find out. (laughs) Also, in the table of contents, the ad was listed as fiction, ad and personality parody. Then they printed the issue. Not long after the issue came out, Jerry Falwell was leaving a news conference in Washington, D.C., and a reporter stopped him. And the reporter was like, hey, um, have you seen that parody ad that Hustler did about you? And Jerry was like, yeah, obviously I've got a subscription. What? No. (laughs) No. So he kind of like brushed off the question, got back to his office, and he told one of his staffers, hey, get me the latest issue of Hustler. The staff member left, came back with it. Jerry Falwell opened it up. And he was horrified. Yeah. He felt like weeping. He had never been more angry in his entire life. The worst part, they had besmirched... Even about the gays in the ACLU? (laughs) 
I mean, obviously he's very upset about all the work us feminists did to, you know, crash those planes into the Twin Towers. But, you know, this also ranked up there. Okay. The worst part was that they had besmirched and defiled his dear mother's memory. Mm-hmm. Which that does suck. It does. You, yeah. yeah. So Jerry Falwell looked himself in the mirror and he said, Let's go to court. He sued Larry Flint and Hustler Magazine for libel, invasion of privacy, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. I feel like Hustler's going to be protected by parody law. Why? They specifically said it was parody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's clearly a parody. Yeah. Uh-huh. What about emotional distress? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Why don't you tell us? Okay. <laughs> He wanted $45 million. Jeez. Uh, Adjusted for inflation, that's $115 million. Wow. But um, lawsuits can be expensive. I don't know if you knew it. Uh, So he got a little help from his friends. A few years earlier, he'd formed a political action group called the Moral Majority. Mm-hmm. And they did super important work, Brandy. Yeah, yes, yes. Did. Like telling women to not get abortions oh, and God. pushing for prayers in school. Obviously, Christian prayers, duh. Um, super important work, so stop making that face. Oh, I don't care for it at all. So he sent a letter to all 500,000 members of the Moral Majority, and he sent another letter to another group of 30,000 of his like major donors, and he sent another letter to 750,000 people who were fans of the old-time Gospel Hour, which was his TV show that sounds atrocious. I fell asleep while you were saying the name of it. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't make it past old time. (laughs) So in those letters, he told people about the ad. And in one case, he actually included the ad with the letter in one batch of them. Yeah. And he asked them for help. Here's part of what one of the letters said. The billion-dollar sex industry, of which Larry Flint is the self-described leader, is preying on innocent, impressionable children to feed the lust of depraved adults. Larry Flint's the leader of the sex industry? Yes. I don't think so. (laughs) Yes, he's the self-described leader, and he's preying on innocent, impressionable children to feed the lust of depraved adults. Okay. Where do the children come in? I... (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned the children because I am the children are mentioned many times and I mean Hustler's not for children and it doesn't feature children and so I'm kind of like how how are the children spelled that out for us that Hustler's not for children you know what somewhere right now a child is listening to this podcast this explicit podcast and and they're like oh my gosh this makes so much sense. I was so confused by this. <laughs> I thought this was a children's book. I thought this was Sweet Valley. Oh, God. Then it said, Will you help me defend myself against the smears and slander of this major pornographic magazine? Will you send me a gift of $500 so that we may take up this important legal battle? He asked over a million people for $500? Well over a million. Yeah. I don't... Now, this is just... 750 plus 200... I'm sure the ask was different um, depending on the audience. Yeah, that's probably true. I'm guessing the old-time gospel choir, you know, it's more like whatever you can spare. But, like, the major donors, you know, go big or go home. 
Brandy. How much money did you get? Ask and you shall receive. How much money did he get? <gasps> Donations How poured in. How much money did he get? Soon, Jerry Falwell had raised more than $717,000 wow. to launch his lawsuit. Wow. When it came time to choose his attorney, Jerry knew right where to go. See, he'd just finished unsuccessfully suing Penthouse. And the lawyer who defended Penthouse was a guy named Norman Roy Grutman. And obviously he'd done a good job, so Jerry hired him. See, I... Hmm, I don't know if this is the right place to say it. I'm a little skeptical about how heartbroken and upset he was over this parody ad. Yeah. I mean, obviously... It would be rough. And especially if, if your mother had died, like that would be, it, it would be rough. But he immediately raises a ton of money. He mm-hmm. sets himself up so he could potentially get a ton of money. Mm-hmm. He's getting all this publicity from this lawsuit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Are you saying that he's not the moral majority? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, he seems like a great guy. Meanwhile, Larry Flint was very much accustomed to being sued. He once famously shouted, Fuck this court! In a courtroom. (laughs) And he also once famously wore the American flag to court Uh as a diaper. Yeah. (laughs) Did you already know that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So Larry called up his legal team and he's like, Do your thing, I'll do my thing. And his legal team filed a copyright infringement lawsuit against Jerry Falwell. I think just to be dicks. I was going to say, yeah, where's the... So their logic was that, you know, Jerry had printed out that ad a bunch and put Uh, it in with some of those uh, donation request letters. He's like, and they're like, that's our ad. You didn't have the right to do that. That's pretty good. And yeah, I mean, that seems like an odd strategy. You're so emotionally distressed by the ad that you're sending it out to a million people that seems weird yeah you'd maybe not want everybody to see it yeah and um you're so worried about the children you wouldn't want the children to see that that's right to their home yeah Mm. Hmm. i'm starting to think this jerry falwell guy's full of shit maybe (laughs) um obviously that got dismissed because it was clearly fair use yeah But in the meantime, Larry Flint was like, oh, you don't like my parody ad? Well, I'm going to run it again in the March issue, and you're going to double hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Then Larry Flint hired Alan Isaacman, who has since represented like Geraldo Rivera and Kathy Griffin and la la la. But at the time, Alan was just a Harvard-educated lawyer with a kind of sweet, aw shucksy attitude. I bet you're ready to hear about a trial. I am. Well, hold on, sweet cheeks. Oh. Because first, I have to take you on the wild ride that was Larry Flint's deposition. Oh, yay. It took place in a prison in North Carolina. Why? (laughs) Well, our good pal Larry was there because he was being held for contempt of court, which was a result of one of his many other legal issues. Um, I wonder if this was the diaper incident. I don't know. Meanwhile... Our pal Jerry Falwell had recently announced that he was seeking the Republican nomination for president. So, you know, these dudes were kind of, you know, at different places in their lives. Not judging, just saying. Absolutely. There Larry was, looking like shit, 
covered in bed sores, chilling in a North Carolina prison, and the deposition begins. Okay. Our good friend, Dougie O. Lender, yeah. from FamousTrials.com, refers to this deposition as, and I'm quoting, perhaps the most bizarre, vulgar, and self-destructive deposition in legal history. Wow. Okay, so I want to pause here because, you know, then he goes to describe the deposition and he yeah. gives some direct quotes and, you, yeah, they're pretty bad. But I was kind of like, well, I don't know, most bizarre, most vulgar? Doesn't seem like super crazy. How bizarre? How bizarre? <laughs> <laughs> Cruising down the freeway in the hot, hot sun. <laughs> So I was like, I wonder if somebody's uploaded a little bit of this to YouTube. Yeah. Holy smokes, they had. Douglas O'Linder had tried to save me from myself. (laughs) It was terrible. It was disgusting. So here we go. Okay. The whole time, Larry Flint makes it super clear that he thinks this whole thing is a joke. He is a dick the entire time. I cannot stress Mm -hmm. it enough. He is all attitude. Within the first couple minutes of questioning, oh my God, this, this is terrible. Within the first couple minutes of questioning, he picks his nose and he eats it. Oh God. It is. What? It, you're totally unprepared for it. It's disgusting. I know. I know. I almost vomited. Oh yeah. Yeah. So again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know you can't handle it. I can't handle stuff. it. Okay. I can't handle it, Kristen. You know what? We're moving on. We're moving on. <laughs> Okay, so the following account I have here is just a mashup of the highlight reel from YouTube and the summary from FamousTrials.com. Okay. I'm ready. I'm sorry. for I'm, I know that's gross. I about vomited. Yeah. Okay. Well, stop talking about it. <laughs> At one point, pretty early on in the deposition, Larry was like, hey, just so you know, I can receive radio signals. And Jerry, <laughs> Jerry Falwell's lawyer was like, Okay. Uh, (laughs) And he started to ask a question. And Larry Flint was like, Bravo, November. Bravo, Whiskey. Bravo, 11. They know what that means, Bob. Can you give me an ETA on it? Later, Larry was like, oh, the ad? Well, you know, it was really a collaborative effort. I had help from Billy Idol, Yoko Ono, Jimmy Carter, and Ted Nugent. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, the lawyer... Ted Nugent, famously, extremely confirmed conservative by the way which is weird that he was so helpful yes. with this ad right yeah. also jimmy carter being president at all you yeah. would think he wouldn't have taken the time yeah. finally the lawyer was like are you determined mr flint to make a mockery of this deposition and he nods yes and the lawyer says do you wish to pretend that you don't understand my questions Ooh. And then Larry Flint, like, nods and then kind of stops. And then he shakes his head. Uh He's like, oh, shit. Shit. At another point, he was like, yep, everything that goes in Hustler has my approval. Definitely. Meanwhile, Larry Flint's poor legal team, they are like, oh, my God, shut up, dude. This is terrible. Stop. Stop. But he kept going because he could not be tamed. So Norman, Jerry Falwell's attorney, was like, hey, do you have any information that Reverend Falwell ever committed incest with his mother? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's a terrible question to ask. Why? What do you think he's going to say, Brandy? 
Obviously, he's going to say no. no it's just a not, parody. He's not going <laughs> to say that. He's going to say like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to venture a guess what he's going to say. It's going to be terrible. Here we go. Larry was like, oh, yeah. Captain Joe Sibley of the biz- of the Bureau of Prisons told me. So I assume he was right there in the uh-huh. room. Um, and oh, for sure, three people in Virginia actually witnessed them having sex, and they all signed affidavits. <laughs> <laughs> so the attorney, of course, latches onto this. And Larry Flint, with this shit-eating grin, tells this clearly made up story about how one time when Jerry Falwell was about the age of puberty he went into an outhouse with his mom's picture tucked inside a Sears Roebuck catalog and masturbated to it. (laughs) And Brandy, three boys all saw this happen somehow, okay? And those same three boys, all right, they all saw his mom catch him doing that years later and that's when she, quote, taught him a lesson on the birds and the bees. Oh, no! And the lawyer was like, well, these same boys somehow saw <laughs> all of this. And he goes, doesn't that stretch the limits of credulity? And I don't think Larry knew what that word meant, so he just kind of tapered off. I mean, the funny thing is, when you read this stuff, it sounds just terrible, but there's something funny about watching him, like, Smile while he's yeah. like, "Oh yeah, I've got affidavits." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's just so full of shit. He knows that he thinks this whole process is bullshit. Yeah. Okay. At one point, Larry said he was anti-Bible, anti-religion. He said the Bible was the biggest piece of shit ever. And then he was like, "I hate child molesters." And then he goes on this big rant about child molesters. So I, in summary, I don't know how to feel. <laughs> I'm with him there. I hate the nose picking. Then he claimed that he had a picture of Jerry Falwell masturbating. (laughs) And he also claimed that he had a picture of Jerry Falwell, quote, fucking a young girl. And then he claimed that he had a picture of Jerry Falwell fucking a sheep. So, you know, he's just got all this stuff. It's a sheep now. It was a goat in the ass. I'm sure he has all of these things. Duh, Brandy. (laughs) And yep, I wanted to run that ad because I'm vindictive. I just wanted to settle a score with Jerry Falwell. I wanted to assassinate his integrity. And again, you know, his lawyers are like, oh, shit, shut up. Yeah. Then he goes, the only reason I included the disclaimer at the end of the ad is because of, and then he points to his in-house lawyer and he goes, that asshole sitting over there. At some point, he told Jerry Falwell's lawyer that he wanted to take a shit right on top of your head. Wow. Larry Flint's legal team was, to put it delicately, boned. They were like, holy shit, we have to get this deposition thrown out. This is terrible for our case. So Alan Isaacman, who was Larry's attorney, was like, judge, this deposition has to be thrown out. Larry was mentally incompetent at the time of this deposition. He was in the throes of manic depression. He was heavily medicated. You gotta throw it out. But Jerry's lawyer, Norman Gretman, was like, I'm actually a huge fan of this deposition. I've grown quite attached to it. How about we keep it? 
And we show it to the jury, and we just let the jury know that Larry Flint was having some medical issues and let them decide for themselves how they feel about this deposition. Yeah. The judge thought it over, and she decided to exclude the deposition. Now it's December of 1984, and the trial has begun. Hmm. But on the first day of trial, the judge was like, yeah, I changed my mind about that deposition. Let's go ahead and throw it back in. <laughs> and Falwell's legal team, they danced, they say, cheered, they, yeah, and they Flynn's did legal right team, there. they burst into tears. Yeah. You know, I'm guessing. <laughs> so this trial was fairly short, and Jerry Falwell took the witness stand pretty early on, and like any good preacher, he told his story. His family had roots in Virginia going back to the 1750s. His dad had been an alcoholic, but ever since Jerry found Jesus, he'd been a teetotaler, mm-hmm. which I think is a stupid word, but yeah. anyway, that's what he was. He spoke highly of his mom. He said she was a godly woman. Mm-hmm. She'd been nearly a saint, and his relationship with her had been very, very intimate. Ew. I know. Why would he say I, that that's, when the claim yeah. is that he fucks his mother? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a very, very odd choice of words, but that's what he said. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Jerry wasn't afraid to speak highly of himself, Brandy. (laughs) He, okay, controversial. In the FamousTrials.com write-up, he referred to himself as the second most admired American behind the president. Which I think makes him sound like a super douche. But in the movie, which again is a fictionalized account, in the movie he says that good housekeeping ranked him the second most admired American behind the president. Which I think sounds much more believable. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So anyway, just throwing that out there. Jerry talked about his career and all of his accolades and how he had worked with every breath in his body to influence the public's opinion on pornography. Mm. At some point, his lawyer cut to the chase. He said, Mr. Falwell, specifically, did you and your mother commit incest? And Jerry thought for a long time. What? And he scratched his head. What? No, I'm just Oh, kidding. my God. No, he immediately like, That's like, a question you just you jumped right on. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he said, absolutely not. All right, good. Then the attorney busted out a couple issues of Hustler and had Jerry leaf through them. And the lawyer, this sounds so weird to me. The lawyer was like, does this magazine contain pictures of lesbians? And Jerry was like, it does. <laughs> Full color? Full color? Does it show naked women lewdly exposing themselves? Yes! Does it have pictures of interracial sex? It does! Oh my gosh. Which, I'm sorry, pictures of interracial sex, get over it. I mean, the white supremacists and these guys obviously had something in common if they were equally scandalized. Yeah. I wish there had been more more on that, because I would love to know more about their takes. But yeah. anyway, we, there's simply no time. Then they talked about the parody ad and how much it had hurt Jerry's feelings. Jerry said that the ad was, quote, the most hurtful, damaging, despicable, low-type personal attack that I can imagine one human being can inflict on another. Then Larry Flint took the stand. 
and he didn't pick a single booger. <laughs> and Stop I'm just it. real proud of him. Why did you have to bring this up <laughs> I'm again? Sorry. I had it in the script, and I'm sorry. <laughs> he was dressed better. He looked better. And he was like, look, during that, de- that deposition, I was in a bad spot. I was in pain. I'd been in solitary confinement. I was suffering from manic depression and paranoia. The works. Then his testimony shifted toward the ad. And Larry was like, look, I have no personal animosity toward Reverend Falwell. We just wanted to make fun of those Campari ads, you know, and Jerry Falwell seemed like the perfect subject because it was so obvious that he would never do any of the things we talked about. It's just meant to give people a chuckle. Mm-hmm. But then came the cross-examination. Jerry Falwell's legal team made it their mission to get the jury to see that the real Larry Flint was the guy they saw in the deposition, not the composed, polite man they saw today. Mm-hmm. And Jerry's lawyer, Norman Gretman, knew just how to do it. He'd found a fucking gross quote from an interview that Larry had given a couple years earlier. What's the quote? He wanted to. He What's wanted the, the jury quote? to hear it. Okay, so he goes, in 1975, did you give an interview in which you said, I like to lay beneath a glass coffee table and at this point, okay, Larry Flint's lawyer, Alan, jumps up and he's like, objection. But Norman keeps going and he's like, and watch my girl shit. And Alan's like, I beg your honor, please, please. (laughs) And the judge's like, I'll allow it. Okay. I have terrible news. What? You don't know how the quote ends? Douglas Olinder, who I love, who, I mean... This Helped tremendously news. with this script. This I mean, it's, it's all news. good stuff. Um, he thought we were too delicate to hear the rest of this quote. He just gives us the summary. The direct quotes are donezo. I tried looking on newspapers.com. I tried my Google machine. I couldn't find the full direct quote. This, Damn it. I am begging you listeners, if anyone can find it, I want to oh. hear it. Here's the summary. The quote was about poop and anally raping 10-year-old paper boys and then slitting their throats with a razor. That went a different direction than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite the sexy good time you thought it was going to be? Well, I didn't think it was a sexy good time. (laughs) Well, glass coffee table. Watch your woman take a shit. shit, Yeah, Yeah. I'm checked out already. No, thank you. (laughs) So this lawyer... Reads this awful, disgusting quote. And Larry was like, "Mm, that was just a bizarre joke. And Norman was like, and you once told Vanity Fair that the Bible was the biggest piece of shit ever written. Which I feel like, okay, lead with that quote and then go to the 10-year-old paper boys. Right? I mean. All I can think of is Herbert the pervert now. (laughs) Paper boy. <laughs> Come get your paper out of my pocket. Well, that's pretty good. <laughs> so Larry's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, probably. Yeah, I might have said that. <laughs> then came the other witnesses. A doctor said that Larry was heavily medicated and that he was manic at the time of the deposition. One of Jerry Falwell's friends testified that Jerry had been very upset by the parody ad. A representative from Campari was like, we also didn't like that ad. (laughs) Before the jury went into deliberation, the judge told them that in order for there to be defamation, Larry Flint would have had to have made false statements about Jerry Falwell, 
that were reasonably understood as facts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then she said, for intentional infliction of emotional distress, there's a different standard. The statements don't have to be believable. All you're looking for here is whether Larry intended to inflict distress on Jerry and that what he did was outside the accepted bounds of decency. Well, yeah, I think that one definitely <laughs> big check mark next to that one. <laughs> With that, the jury went into deliberation, and of course, when they came back out, they decided that there had been no defamation. Obviously, no one's going to read that and be like, oh my God, yeah. this is a terrible true story. Yeah. Um, but they decided that, yeah, Larry Flint and Hustler Magazine had intended to emotionally distress Jerry Falwell. And, yeah, what they'd done was outside the accepted bounds of decency. Yeah. So they awarded Jerry Falwell $100,000 in compensatory damages and $100,000 in punitive damages. Larry Flint and Hustler Magazine decided to appeal. So, just quick aside, what? What? Well, I don't know what there is to appeal on. I think that they've, they've clearly met the definition of, mm-hmm. so, of the emotional damages or whatever. So I would think at a certain point, and I don't know at what point they had the Supreme Court in mind, mm-hmm. um, you decide that definition is what oh, we're fighting. Pro- yeah, yeah. we're fighting for free speech. Yeah. All right. Um, All right. All right. So in the movie, I thought this was interesting. And this is true. So at the time, um, Larry Flint was married uh, to his third wife Mm -hmm. who contracted AIDS and later died from AIDS. Mm -hmm. Well, drowning. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) You get get the idea. Yes. But how they have this in the movie, and I think the timing does somewhat check out, is that the verdict came in from this trial court. You know, it seemed fine, whatever. But then Jerry Falwell started in on people with AIDS or blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. They're these terrible people. Mm-hmm. And Larry Flint was like, fuck, fuck this that guy. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go for another round yeah. in court. So, but of course, the appellate court did not find in their favor. They were, the three judge panel was like, no, dude, you said in your deposition that you wanted to assassinate Jerry Falwell's character. The jury's verdict was spot on. Get yeah. out of here. But Larry Flint wasn't happy with that. So he took his case all the way to the Supreme Court. Slowly, other publications came to Hustler's defense. Wow. Initially, they were like, ew, you guys are gross, and we're real journalists. But over time, they were like, you know, the outcome of this case will affect all of us. Yeah. If any public figure can sue anytime they're emotionally distressed by parody or satire, then we could all be screwed. Yeah. We need to band together. So a ton of publications wrote amicus briefs in support of Hustler magazine. Then, in December of 1987, the Supreme Court began hearing the case. Alan Isaacman, who's Larry's attorney, did an amazing job. He made it all about the slippery slope. He said, quote, If Jerry Falwell can sue because he suffered emotional distress, anybody else who's in public life should be able to sue because they suffered emotional distress. And the standard that was used in this case, does it offend generally accepted standards of decency and morality, is no standard at all. All it does is allow for the punishment of unpopular speech. Yeah. 
which yeah true yeah he talked a lot about the importance of protecting satire and the importance of being able to parody and talk about political leaders something americans have done since the beginning of america yeah. Until America ends in 10 minutes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when Falwell's side took over, Norman Grutman, I, I don't think he did so hot, personally. No. He was like, deliberate, malicious character assassination is not protected by the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. And the judges were like, okay. okay. Uh, but what clear line can you draw between that fake Campari ad and other kinds of satire or political cartoons those can be kind of nasty too how do we decide what's okay and not okay Mm -hmm. you know they're looking for like this clear definition i'm gonna read you norman norman's response i think it's convoluted as hell but you be the judge if the man sets out with the purpose of simply making a legitimate aesthetic political or some other kind of comment about the person about whom he was writing or drawing and that is not an outrageous comment then there's no liability mm-hmm. did you follow that pretty it was well so vague <laughs> <laughs> so it's i guess it's all about like outrageousness and what's in the person's heart yeah it's it. intent yeah which oh okay In February of 1988, the Supreme Court announced their decision. It was unanimous. Mm. They sided with Larry Flint. Here's part of what they said. At the heart of the First Amendment is the recognition of the fundamental importance of the free flow of ideas and opinions on matters of public interest and concern. They went on to say that essentially being able to debate big public issues is critical. And if we have to ask ourselves whether the speaker had a bad motive, then that could be have a chilling effect on free speech. Mm-hmm. And that's just too big a risk. Here's a fun fact. The opinion was written by Justice William Rehnquist. And he was like this big time collector of political cartoons, loved political cartoons, including like the old timey ones. Yeah. And he knew that sometimes they could be a little out there, and he was okay with that. He wrote that trying to determine whether a parody or satire was outrageous is subjective. Yeah. And it would be so dangerous to let every jury weigh Mm -hmm. in on something that's so subjective. Basically, yeah, you'd be punishing unpopular stuff. I mean, it'd just be a fucking mess. And that's a direct quote from him. It'd be a fucking fucking mess. mess. Yeah. (laughs) And it shouldn't be the basis for awarding damages. Mm -hmm. So it was settled. The highest court in the land had determined that Larry Flint and his dirty little magazine hadn't done anything illegal. Years passed. And eventually, Jerry and Larry became friends. What? Yeah. You're, okay, you seem grossed out. I think it's weird. I just, I don't know I'm grossed out. I think it's super weird. They toured the country, stopping at college campuses to debate free speech. Um, because in my opinion, at the end of the day, what they both wanted was just money. Money, right? exactly. That's what yeah. that sounds like. And they discovered they kind of liked each other. Okay. So they had sex. No. No. <laughs> I don't think so. Can't be sure, but... <laughs> well, actually, we can. I mean, Larry Flint... Well, no, maybe oral sex. I'm sorry. This is... I'm this sorry. Is taking a weird turn. <laughs> sorry. Very rude of me. I realized that I was being ableist. I mean, he's perfectly capable of having sex. But they didn't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll stop. I'll stop. 
So, you know, they became friends, and that just shocks the shit out of everyone. So it's mentioned in every article yeah. ever. But I think it's kind of dumb, because I... They're just... I think they just... They just want money. I think they're just... They're more similar than, you know, people are like, oh, they're total opposites. I don't know, man. Yeah. I think they have a lot in common. And that's the story of Jerry Falwell and Larry Flint. That's excellent. I loved it. Did you love it? I did. (laughs) It was really fun to research. How's how's London doing? She's She's just like right here. Really? Yeah, I can feel her. She's she's like pressed on the the outside. Oh. Oh. She kicking? Didn't like that. that. (laughs) Leave me alone, Mom. (laughs) Dad bogan me. (laughs) As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Well, what do you think? Should we take some questions from our Discord? Absolutely. Brandy, what the hell is a Discord? A Discord is like a 90s style chat room. It's super fun to get in it. All you Don't do... mention the predators like I did. <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds like a good idea to mention predators. I don't think it was. All you have to do is join our Patreon at the $5 level or higher, which is all the levels. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, you get in there. And uh, when we yeah, when we record, we ask for questions. And then we answer a few of them. It's a good time. It sure is. Kristen, you want to pick the questions? Sure. Hmm. Okay, I kind of like this question. Hmm. Lieutenant Cumberbun Bun <laughs> asks, when you started out, did one of you dislike the way you sounded? If so, how did you get over it? Ooh. So I actually expected not to like the sound of my voice. It didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. I hate the way my laugh sounds. Why? It's so fucking loud. Brandy, you sound like <laughs> one of those asshole reviewers. I know. And then so that was automatically my reaction. Oh. Like, I sound like a fucking hyena. No. I can't help it. It's just how I laugh. And then we got all those reviews <laughs> of how I laugh. It was terrible. <laughs> so... I kind of like this question because I've heard from people who are like, I want to start a podcast or I want to do a thing, but I don't have the right voice for it. My God, it never even occurred to me yeah. to worry about yeah. either of our voices. Yeah. So just be confident, yeah. stupid. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Huh. Nat Likes Cats asks, how are you supporting the black community amidst the race crisis? 
Gosh, well, we... <laughs> this time has been so crazy. Like, just, I mean, we're both obsessed with watching all of the ugh, coverage and everything. So what we did as a as a podcast yeah. is we donated to the Kansas City Community Bail Fund. So this is something that's near and dear to us. Obviously, we're very, our hearts are very much here in Kansas yeah. City. And the protests have been happening at the plaza, which is... Right in the heart of our city, right where... Yeah, um, I'm hearing sirens every night. Yeah, yeah. and so the Kansas City Community Bail Fund um, has committed to helping people who are arrested at those protests cover their bail. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we chose... We um, donated $500 to that fund as a small, you know, effort to yeah. help in some way. Well, we found out that 500 gets one person gets one per- that, that covers one person's bail. So actually, this is they had actually just raised the bail to $1,000. dollars And enough people who mean something in this city yeah. um, mm-hmm. fought back against it, and they reduced it back to $500. So, yeah. So we, I mean, it's not a lot, but we, we covered one person's bail. I feel, I struggle with like, in moments like these, I struggle with, what do you do? Yeah. Because, you know, we're both white. Yeah. And so I certainly don't feel like it's the time for me to be like, attention, everyone, I've got an opinion. I agree. Um, but at the same time, I feel like, well, we do have this platform. Yeah. It feels, it feels very, to me, mm-hmm. imposter-like for us to be too very privileged white women yeah. to try and be like, hey, listen up, this is what needs to happen. But what we can do is use our platform and continue to bring light to cases yeah. that people need to hear about. I mean, we've done several of them and we will continue to do that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just off about, the top of off the top of your head. I, like, mean, I was just about to say, like, I think of one of our earliest episodes, which was Lamonte McIntyre. That was a horrible case yeah. of police corruption. He went to prison for, what was it, 23 years? 23 years. It was insane. Yeah. Um, I just, I, you know, again, we, we were talking about, like, it's not our place. But I, I'm just going to say, since we've got the podcast and the microphones in front of me, yeah. police brutality is a widespread issue. Yeah. And it has to fucking stop. Yeah. We don't need to treat American citizens this way. No. That's in, that's insane. We don't need to treat human beings this I'm way. I'm sorry. Yes. Good God. Yeah. We do not need to treat human beings this way. Yeah. We do not need a military style presence. No. And uh, again, it's just been it's been very disturbing because as a white person, my interactions with the police have been like nothing. Yeah. If, if anything, they've been positive. And so it's never been. Yeah. It's never been a thought in my mind that I need to be fearful of the police and you know and what a privilege that is no fucking what a privilege that is and this just i mean just brings so much light to that and so i think to answer the question it's like well if you can give money give money yeah so we're doing that yes um and yeah if you can listen which i feel like we've been doing a lot of listening by trying Mm -hmm. to you know keep on top of of the news Mm -hmm. and yeah, Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. Ooh, Brianna asks, Brandy, what was the boy's name you had picked out? Do you want to share that? Yeah, I okay. think I shared it before on an episode. Oh, okay. But yeah, the boy's then name. Then Brianna, you know, listen to an episode, okay? <laughs> the boy name was Bear, mm-hmm. um, and my parents hated it. So. 
<laughs> David and I loved it, and my parents hated it. My mom was like, oh, could, can we come up with, like, that? that's the nickname? Like, what if you named him Barrett? Or, and I was like, or Bartholomew, mom? No, I'm not doing it. Like, and my dad was like, he also hated it. Uh-huh. And he was like, what if London was the name if it was a girl or a boy? And I was like, no. He's like, well, I had an uncle, an uncle Lonnie. And I was like, I'm not naming my kid Lonnie. In fairness, Bear Pond does sound like a place. <laughs> Ozymandias King wants to know, what's your favorite slash least favorite part of living in the Midwest? Ooh. Um, favorite is that we're like, to me, is that like, you're close to a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. You can go any direction in the United States in, in a driving trip, essentially. Mm-hmm. Since we're smack dab here in the middle. Yeah. I do like that. I also like Midwest politeness. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell the cops about it? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, least favorite thing, the weather. Yeah, our our weather. I mean, it's sometimes great, and, it's and sometimes, sometimes awful. fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then like one day it's great, and the next day it's a hundred degrees out of nowhere. <laughs> Bottom line, I hate it when people use that phrase. Like, if you don't like the weather here, wait, wait five minutes. minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can use it here. Yes, can't use that in other places. That's right. <laughs> Taking that away from you. Um, Adjusted for Inflation wants to know, now that the show is super famous and you have sponsors, any thought to a new $10 Patreon tier for ad-free episodes? I would recommend calling it the Bob Moss tier. Excellent suggestion. I mean, if people want... Yeah. Just tell us if, if that's what you want. If you, yeah, give us some feedback. If you guys are interested in that, we can make it happen. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. I want ad-free episodes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I thrust my boobs out very aggressively. Yeah, it was very, very aggressive. Ooh, Melody wants to know, what's been your favorite part of pregnancy? Ooh, oh my gosh, I have loved being pregnant. I I have had, in general, a very easy pregnancy. I've had no major complications, um, very minor vomiting, very minor aches and pains. Mm-hmm. Um, oh gosh. I'm going to get emotional. Do it. It's okay. It's something that I never thought that I would get to experience. I had kind of written this off as a part of my life. And so I have just loved every minute of being pregnant. Yeah. Oh, Brandy. (laughs) I'm so happy for you. Thank you. I'm so excited. To answer her question more directly, her favorite part was obviously the butt swab. (laughs) Ooh, Argent wants to know, are you going to do an LGBTQ plus themed episode for Pride Month? Oh, I love that idea. Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. (laughs) I like how we're looking at each other like, well, you're the boss. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. We've got the nuts. That's right. Oh, gosh. Nat Likes Cats is at it again. (laughs) She or he, I don't know. Or them. I'm sure you recorded today's episode before the murder of George Floyd, but I think it would be great if you two could issue a statement regarding how you think you can best support black voices. Okay, so we kind of talked about this. We did kind of talk about that already. But yes, for the record, we absolutely recorded the episode before that, which is why we included a trigger warning in the show notes um, and a note about that there. Yeah, we basically, the reason we included a trigger warning, we don't normally do that. I kind of feel like in general we shouldn't just because we're categorized as true crime. We mark every episode as explicit. 
We've got show notes, which kind of tell you basically what's going to happen. The reason we included it there is because the mention of police brutality kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. And I kind of felt like, you know, since we didn't go into any real modern day context, because, you know, the world hadn't exploded yet. Yeah. um, We needed to just give people a heads up. Absolutely. But as far as what we can do to best support black voices, I would say, um, (laughs) to be blunt, shutting the fuck up and listening. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Best thing we can do is listen and give money. I think, you know what? I think giving money. Yeah. If you've got it is a good way to do it. Yeah. Okay. She persisted. Asks, what's the weirdest way you've ever gotten or lost a job? Hmm. Do you have an answer? (laughs) I'm kind of wondering about whether to share it. It's kind of weird. Well, that was the question. Yeah. I, (laughs) I... so in college, I got fired from a job, yeah. which I'd never been fired before. But I, in retrospect, I was a little shit. Yeah. So I had this job working for the writing center where I had to come in for like, it was like the sweetest gig ever. I worked for like, I don't know, six hours a week. It was like enough money to buy yeah. myself cocktails. Yeah. Like I loved it. So, you know, I just go in, you know, people would show up. For writing help, I'd help them out. Sometimes they didn't, and I'd watch The Bachelor online. You know, it was like the best. Yeah. And then this new supervisor took over and wanted like us to do to answer some questions. I'm sure she didn't really want that much, but my attitude was like, you know, you can't ask me to work when I'm off the clock probably would have taken me 10 minutes so I just didn't do it and then I was stunned when I was fired via email stunned Uh, and then I'm sorry it gets weirder oh it gets weirder than that yeah so that writing center that was small but it was basically my only skill is like in terms of like as far as work study jobs at a college where you could make some decent money it was Mm -hmm. like well I need a job in this writing center where I was just recently fired. <laughs> so, so I obviously applied for this even more sweet gig where I was like assigned to a class and I was like their personal writing helper uh-huh. where they could come to me at any time for writing help. Uh-huh. Now, the key is no one comes to you for help for the entire yeah. semester except at the very last minute. Then you get a bunch of people and you do what you can. Yeah. But for the most part, you get paid this very nice size stipend for the entire semester, for like maybe one or two nights of work. It was a sweet gig. I wanted it, obviously, was rejected for the job. (laughs) But here's the thing. Simmons University is a very small college. And so... No one else wanted it. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. It's like, I don't think... I think maybe they had some applicants, but like the director was complaining to another person who was in a similar position was just like, man, we just didn't get... We've got to get someone in this position we just don't have anybody. And she was like, well, I could recommend someone. And the director was like, oh, my God, yes, who? And she goes, Kristen Pitts. And the director was like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> um, But I ended up getting that job <laughs> because they had no other choice. And it was wonderful. It was so much better than that other job where I got fired. Yeah. I learned no lessons. Yeah. I was a dick. <laughs> <laughs> um... I got fired a lot from a summer job for you my did? dad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every summer when I was a kid, I worked for my dad, and I got fired multiple times every summer. 
And then, weirdest way I've gotten a job, I guess kind of the job I have now at the salon. Like, so my sister, Kim, has owned the tan salon. Okay, it is kind of a weird thing thing how this happened. For 15 years, like, has had a great, successful business. Yeah. And we had always, like, talked, like, hypothetically, one day, wouldn't it be interesting? Like, wouldn't it be fun if we added a hair salon? Well, then, in 2015, Kansas passed a law that reduced our tanning clients by, like, 25%. Yeah, yeah. Um, It was something, it was about teenagers, Teenagers, yeah. yeah. Previously, there had been no regulations about any but age restrictions on tanning, Mm -hmm. and they put in an age restriction. And so, it wiped out our whole, like... High school prom season was done. (laughs) And so at that time, they had to make a decision about Mm -hmm. where do we move forward with the business? How do we how do we offset that? And I had left my corporate job. Right. And so it was like the perfect timing. And we decided to take out two tanning beds and put in a hair salon. And it has been amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think we should we should both answer this question. Okay, so that it's on the record. Okay. Anna Faye wants to know, what date do you think London is going to be born? Will she hold on and be the third June 12th baby on the pod? Okay, I think we both need to make predictions. Okay. Okay, so I your would, due date is June 26th. June 26th. Okay. I would fucking love it if she was born on my birthday. I think that'd be amazing. That would be so cool. However, I also want her to be cooking away in there as long as possible. My actual prediction mm-hmm. is June 21st. Father's Day. Father's Day. Oh. I told David, like, when we first found out I was pregnant, that I yeah. was getting him a baby for Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be so cool. I mean, so I talked about this with my sister. I was like, okay, yeah. Kyla, you know, she's she's got two kids. I'm like, how do you know when, when a woman's about to blow? Yeah. And because I was like, I, I swear to you, Brandy is any minute. And Kyla's just like, well, I mean, the thing is, like, you can you be can, dilated to that yeah. one for a long time. Yeah. She said exactly what you said, which is that, like, you can look any way. Yeah. And you just never know when it's going to happen. Yeah. So I'm very disappointed. I think it's going to be the 19th. Okay. Friday. Friday right. the 19th. Friday the 19th. Waiting for you, London. <laughs> Okay, we've got another. <laughs> Nat Likes Cats is all over this. I swear there are more people in the Discord. They say, I know this is about questions for Kristen and Brandy, who we all love very much, but maybe we could get a little momentum around pushing for more stories featuring black voices and activists. Maybe we could look into black lawyers or civil rights cases. There are Brandy cases and Kristen cases in the racial justice sphere, I promise you. This all comes from a place of love. I don't know if we should answer a third question from one person. We've never really done that before. (laughs) But I will say, um, you know, certainly we're open to doing more. I would say if you're if you're wanting to listen to some like right off the bat, we've got Emmett Till. We've got Scottsboro Boys. We've got Lamonte McIntyre, as I already mentioned. Yeah, Um, we've got Centoya Brown. Centoya Brown. Yeah, we've got. um, Oh, gosh, I did a couple of the fugitives. Anthony Burns, Fugitive Slave. Um, we've got, shoot, oh, Celia, the Celia, slave the trial. Slave back. Oh, yeah. yeah. Got a couple others. These are just like what's well, off come, the top of our head. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and then the fruitcake case we just did, the woman who realized that there was... Uncovered the whole thing. Was, the hero of the story. Yeah, yeah. Was an African-American woman. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you want some right now, go check those check out. Check those ones but out. But sure. But of course, yeah, please send us suggestions. We are absolutely open to covering any and all of those. Okay, this isn't a question. Well, no, it is a question. 
Mandy M wants to know, do you guys remember the Bop It toy? I love that thing. Next bonus video, you guys should take turns doing Bop It. Do you remember the oh Bop gosh. It? Twist it, pull it, <laughs> flick it. No, we don't. <laughs> Never heard of it. No, why? Huh? Oh, I thought the Bop It was so cool. Yeah. It's a hell of a workout. Yeah. Allie has one. Oh, does she? Yeah, she has everything. But I had a Bop It too. Oh, okay. So I'm bragging to you. Did you have a Bop It? No. In your face. In your face. <laughs> Cat in the Clouds wants to know, if you guys had to go on the run and make fake identities, what kind of characters would you make for your undercover selves? Ooh, this is a good question. See, I'm at a real disadvantage here. Why? Because I'm only good at like one or two things. Yeah? Yeah. And I feel like in order to... Don't make that face at me. I feel I like... You're good at lots of things, no, so I'm wondering what direction you're that's going simply, there. That's simply not true. I feel like... You know, in order to, like, invent a whole backstory, you have to, like, have a broad enough knowledge of different things and skills that you can believe. You know, what am I going to say? Yeah. I think I would be, yeah, like a former Jeopardy contestant. (laughs) (laughs) You know, your identity is supposed to be boring, so people don't ask a lot of questions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, I'm the lady that took down Ken Jennings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Please don't Google me and don't look for any proof of this. And I am a candlestick maker. And um, don't ask questions about how to do that. I don't think people would. It sounds kind of boring. I don't boring. think they would either. It's pretty boring, go. yeah. Yeah, if I... Yeah, you got to find oh. a specialty that's boring enough that no one wants to ask. Accountant. Oh, yeah. No, then... Speaking no. of accountant! What? Oh, my gosh! How what? have I waited this long? What? What? Your, your con artist accountant from the... Fruitcake episode? No, no, from the Tylenol murder case? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve knew him! No! What? Yes! <gasps> Tell us everything! Steve was an auditor for the IRS, and that guy represented clients that were being audited, and so he would come into the office, and no. because he was a huge sketchball, like, all of his clients were being audited! No! <laughs> yes! So he was super weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is nuts. Yeah. Okay, Steve is obviously a more modest person than I. Because if I had a connection, I'd be like, let me tell you a story about me tangentially about the Chicago Tylenol murders. That is nuts. Yeah. Yeah, my mom texted me that today and I was like, how, why are you holding out on this information? (laughs) And my mom Mm -hmm. remembers the case really well because it was my mom and Steve that recommended the case to you. And my mom remembers it so well because she was working at a drugstore at the time that it went on. That would be terrifying. Yes. And so, yeah, like watching all of that unfold in a drugstore setting. And I found this out. My mom was the photo tech at the drugstore. You're just now realizing. I had no idea. That was your. That's what I did at Walgreens. That was your Walgreens career for many years. (laughs) Two years. I worked there for four years. I was a photo tech for two years. I know. That's why I said two years. Don't try to come at me with your corrections. I said it all perfectly. Oh, I've got to do this one. What? Because this just proves that this person has listened to every episode of this podcast <laughs> very thoroughly. <laughs> yes. I name-o? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. I'm so sorry if it's not. Kristen, are your first words to Brandy after she has baby London going to be, <laughs> I like your kid? <laughs> this is a deep cut if there has ever been a deep cut. cut. <laughs> We're going to have to explain that. No one's going to know. I can't believe that she thought of that. That's hilarious. 
We told, I told a story, I don't even know on what episode, a million episodes ago, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. one year when Kristen and I went trick-or-treating when we were kids, and Kristen was trying to be a very polite trick-or-treater, and she was giving everybody a compliment as they were giving us yeah. candy, and like she was running out of compliments. I, I tried to keep them original. Every compliment, I wanted to be original, but you know, what can you say to someone you just met? And so at one house, she told the lady that she liked her kid. <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> okay, it is creepy and weird. My heart was in the right place. My intentions were good. Um, Liradessa asks, how hard would it be to convince either one of you to shave your heads? Not a friend chance. You could never convince me to do it. Never? Never. 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 I do not have the face for it. Five million dollars. There's five million dollars if you shave your head. All right. Two million dollars. Mm. Brand. Oh, I guess I could buy a nice wig. Can I buy a wig? Sure, you can buy a wig, but it's not going to look right. Mm, it's not. You're exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Two million. I. You are looking at this from a very different perspective. I believe this about a hairstylist who will then be bald. Yeah, but then you've got $2 million that you can roll around in like um, Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> Maybe. They, this isn't, the question was not money based. I know. It was could you convince me? Uh, th- so I'm convincing you with money. What, mm. what else would it take? I don't know. Lifetime supply of. No. Wait, nothing? No lifetime mm-hmm. supply of anything? No. Wow. You're a tough cookie. This is not the face for a shaved head. <laughs> it's what? so round. You guys, she just framed her face. Her I said, this is not the face. It's not. This face requires hair. <laughs> what are you going to do if you become a little old lady and it starts to like thin out? Well, have a nice short do. Okay. Okay. You can have yeah. a short do. Yeah, just nice no, pixie. not no do. Yeah. What about you? Um, <laughs> oh, I would like to report a crime. Oh, tell the listeners what you just did to me. Oh, you rude. I only woman. did it because you're so weird about your ears. You oh. have perfectly normal ears. Oh, because I'm yeah, self conscious. So I, I stuck my ears out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, make some offerings. Make some offerings. I offered you stuff $5,000. No. Not even close. No. <laughs> no. A year's supply of um, nerd ropes. No. Because <laughs> I could just buy my own nerd ropes right now. <laughs> How big a, a line item in my budget do you think nerd ropes are? <laughs> what kind of life do you think I'm um, living? Your mortgage is paid off. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Oh, shave it all, baby. <laughs> shave it all. Yep. Oh, and Norman would be so grateful. Man, he'd be refilling my water bottle every time. He'd rubbing that bald head. <laughs> I love you so much. Love you, ball. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nerd ropes. Well, on that note... <laughs> I think we should move on to some Supreme Court inductions. You're absolutely right. Why don't you tell the people how to get into the Supreme Court? You don't have it up yet, do no, you? I do not. Surprise, surprise. Uh, neither do I. 
Okay, gang, here's how you get into the Supreme Court. You join our Patreon at the $7 level. And this week we are continuing with naming names and your favorite movies. Naming names? I know. That's Name- a weird way to say it. It sounds like we're, you know, she did the crime. <laughs> <laughs> And she'll what, do the time. What episode is this? 125. I, do you know what day it is, ma'am? I'm like, are you I here? Don't know I looked at my watch. <laughs> like, that was going to tell me what episode we were on. <laughs> it's a fun thing how, like, most watches now, like, they tell you the time, they tell you the day, and they tell you what episode Let's Go to Court is on. <laughs> yeah. Our podcast like, that's is exactly huge, how Brandy. I have my Apple Watch. Yeah. <laughs> What do you want to do this week, Kristen? You fucked me last week. <laughs> I did fuck you real good, didn't I? Uh, you know what? I'll let you choose. What do you want to do? Um, I'll do names. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> Sarah Evelyn Tronson. Anything by Janet Ivanovich. Deb Albertson. The Girl with the Silver Eyes. Rachel Vanikout. <laughs> the Martian by Andy Weir. Megan Figueroa. The Great Gatsby. She put an exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) Paola Diabelli. Beyond Good and Evil. Oh, no. By Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Nietzsche, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Rachel Irvin. A Curious Beginning. Ashcat. The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin. Lagoon? Le Guin. Le Guin. Le Guin. Fallon Marie Gannon. The Crow Girl by Eric Axel Sund. Aaron McDonald. Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Jess GM from the UK. <laughs> Is that your full name? <laughs> Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Hmm, this is interesting because this is not how I would pronounce this Stacy's last name. It, she says it's Stacy Gilyot. Mm-hmm. We went to high school with a guy with this last name, and he spelled exactly like that, and he pronounced it Gio. Ooh, ooh. Oh, yeah. I do remember him. He was hot. (laughs) 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 We should probably bleep his name. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! Sorry, Stacy. Stacy Gilliatt. Oh gosh, everyone who goes to school with us is going to know that. Well, I mean, everyone knows he was hot. Exactly. Okay. I don't think we got to bleep anything. No, I think it's fine. Okay. Breaking news. <laughs> breaking news. <laughs> was hot in high school. Like. <laughs> the Stephanie Plum series by Janet Ivanovich. Amy Barnes. My Sweet Audrina by V.C. Andrews. V.C. Andrews, man. Oof. Yeah, those V.C. Andrews books. Emily Dick. Jane Eyre, oh, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. <laughs> Welcome to, to the Supreme Court! God, I had a rough time there. I lost confidence several sure times. Did. Got sure distracted did. by a hot guy from high school. <laughs> oh my gosh, guys. Thank you so much for all of your support. We appreciate it so much. If you're looking for other ways to support us, please find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, Reddit, Patreon. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, and then be sure to join us next week. When we'll be experts on two whole new topics. Podcasts. Fuck, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I got distracted. I was pulling up my outro. (laughs) 
but Brandy, we're on episode 125, which you can see on your watch, clearly. Podcast adjourned. And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. For this episode, I got my info from FamousTrials.com, a very gross clip on YouTube, Cornell Law School, and Wikipedia. And I got my info from an episode of Snapped and a blog called The Crime Scene by Kathy Baird. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.